And what we believe our, our people are our greatest asset and key to our success, how we behave, respecting each other's contribution, and we succeed when we have clear understanding of our objectives and being inclusive, openness, empowering people, communicating clearly, um, investing in development, delivering best-in-class results, innovating, adapting, leading with inspiration, doing the right thing. You know, so those are kind of the frameworks that kind of give us direction. It's up to us to, you know, to figure out how we nurture those things and how we get people to communicate and how we encourage the leaders to inspire, right? Most of that, you know, falls on our team to try to navigate. What is up, you sexy bastards? It's your boy, Taco Season, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. Today's episode, I talked to Rob Hagelberg. He is the GM of the Four Seasons here in Austin, Texas. Now, let me give you a little context. There are people who have already done all the things that we want to do, and we can just ask them for all the advice. So Four Seasons, I've heard, has run extremely well as a business. So I wanted to talk to one of their key leaders about how the hell do you run an amazing business? And Four Seasons is one of those. So Rob has talked about the Four Seasons approach. And in this video, we dive into the framework and talk about best practices about running and creating an exceptional company and brand. You can learn more about Four Seasons at fourseasons.com or Rob, who's on LinkedIn. It's Rob Hagelberg. In this conversation, you're going to learn three gigantic things. Number one, how to implement the Four Seasons approach in your business. Number two, the three P's behind the Four Seasons success. And three, how to lead leaders. That's a tongue twister. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Black Friday podcast plug. Pay attention here, y'all. We are giving away a million dollars at AppSumo.com in our Black Friday fund. I I can't believe we're giving away a million bucks. I'd rather just buy millions of dollars of tacos, but instead we're going to give it away to you. Yes, you. So here's how you get that money. Go submit a product on the AppSumo.com marketplace starting September 15th to November 17th. That is AppSumo.com slash sell, and you submit your product. As long as you go live, the first 400 people are going to get a G, that's $1,000, and then everyone else is going to get $250. We are literally paying you to grow your own business. This is just crazy. My mom's like, why would you do that? I'm like, I don't know, mom. It's just fun. We're also, if you're already on the AppSumo.com marketplace and having a lot of sales and having fun on that, we're going to be giving away 10 winners and an extra $10,000 to spend on their business. Why? Because it's fun. We love you. And we want to grow the AppSumo marketplace and think it's an amazing opportunity. So that's AppSumo.com slash sell between September 15th to November 17th, the $1 million Black Friday fund for creators just like you. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Gastronomic Diva. That person you know is going to be cool. They left a review saying, Noah has the secret sauce for entrepreneurs. I've been listening to Noah's podcast for years. He's one of my inspirations for starting my business, rating five tacos. Well, you're one of my inspirations for making this episode. Thank you so much. And if you want a shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to the show. I check every single one of them. The reason that this call started is a woman we worked with who's our controller was she worked at Four Seasons Waikiki or somewhere in Hawaii, Four Seasons. Yeah, Hawalalai maybe, or Maui, we one in Maui, one in Hawalalai. Uh, yeah, and she said it was the best run company she's ever been a part of. And I was like, nice. yeah, so I Googled, how does Four Seasons run? And I couldn't find anything. So I figured, hey, maybe I could talk to uh, someone at the company to, to learn a little bit on the inside about how you guys run. Yeah, not, not rocket scientists. I, I, don't, you know, I don't think you're going to learn a whole lot that you couldn't, couldn't learn out of reading that you know, leadership book or something like that. Well, I, I'm curious, what do you think it is? Like you, you said that right now you spend a lot of time passing down wisdom. What kind of wisdom are you spending your time coaching people on and teaching? It's just a people-driven business. And our product really is the service that we provide, which comes from the staff. So the, the root of our success or failure is going to come from 
you know, the staff and the experience they have and uh, just having people have their head in the right place when they come to work and being positive about, about life and about what they're doing and letting that translate to the guest experience. You know, I was interviewing a young man yesterday and he said, what's success look like? And I, I said, happy guests and happy staff and the happy staff yields the happy guests. And it's almost that simple. <laughs> it's, it's not simple to get those two groups happy, but that's the formula really. It's been the formula since, you know, 1960 when the company was formed. It's not complicated, formed on the, you know, formed on the concept of the golden rule and mutual respect and, you know, treating people the way you would want to be treated. Everyone, customer, colleagues, vendors, you know, suppliers, things like that. You know, I mean, how you do that certainly evolved over the last 70 years or so and probably as quick a pace as ever in the last few years. You know, just with the generational change and how quickly things in the world change and how people think about things, you know, drives the importance of, of that and how you do it a little bit differently. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I, I run a, a popular software company called AppSumo.com. And right. what's interesting is it is actually much more simple than we all make it, but we also want to overcomplicate it. And we're, we're, I know for myself, I'm looking for secrets. I want yeah. the, I'm like, there's yeah. got to be some secret that, that you're doing that I just need to know. But maybe it is really that simple. Like keep the people that work there super happy and, and your customers super happy. Right, right. And, you know, that's, that's hard work. And I think, you know, one of the hardest parts about it and exacerbated in our industry over the last 18 months is just finding, you know, giving that the space it needs, you know, the space to have conversations, the space to uh, allow people to be included in, you know, things are important to them and, uh, you know, space to develop the, the mindset, the emotional intelligence of the, of the leader of the leadership team and have, you know, have open conversations. And that's probably the hardest part about it because everyone has so many priorities and you have guests in front of you all the time. You know, how do you find time, you know, to carve out opportunities for, you know, engagement conversation and, uh, that's one of the hardest things and, and harder now than ever when we're, you know, when we're, we've gone through this horrible down cycle and, you know, we've got fewer people working and, and, you know, more pressure from, you know, from a financial perspective to, you know, control labor costs and expenses and things like that. But if, if we don't make space for it, you know, the service is going to suffer and the culture is going to suffer. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the hardest part about it. And bringing the leaders along on the journey, make sure they understand how important it is to, you know, ultimately an individual's satisfaction in their job is, is determined most directly by the person who's supervising them day in and day out, right? You got a boss who's a, you know, who's a, who's a jerk, your life's going to be miserable at work. And you, you got a boss who's, you know, who's thoughtful and, you know, and treats you with respect, listens to what, you know, listen to what you have to say, then you're going to have a much better experience at work and you'll be much more positive. And, and that's, it's about nurturing and, and making people understand, you know, how critical those types of behaviors are, right? So, so when you're talking yeah. about the wisdom, I try to impart, you know, it's that and some, maybe some specific examples over the years of, you know, things that I've failed at and learned from. What are some Four Seasons stories or Four Seasons examples that, that you're thinking of that, that represent Four Seasons that in your tenure or things that you're proud of in relation to your staff or just things that come to mind? The thing that I'm most proud of and I get the most satisfaction from is, is seeing people, you know, seeing people develop in their 
careers and have career growth and, uh, and, you know, and go on to achieve their goals. I mean, that's incredibly satisfying. I've been the beneficiary of that culture in our organization. I've been in the company for 28 years. I started as a front desk manager and, uh, you know, moved up through the ranks and, and achieved my goal. This, this was my ultimate goal. I, I never had a goal of, you know, going to corporate office. I've always just wanted to run a great hotel. You know, so seeing people, you know, move, move along and you know, we're fortunate because we've got 100, about 120 hotels around the world and, and we have a very active program of recruiting and transferring from within. So a lot of people have a, have a goal to, you know, to live in different parts of the world and, and have different experiences and it affords them the opportunity. And that's one of the ways of advancing more quickly is to be able to have the opportunity to go from lo- one location to another. So, so to see you know people move on and be successful is any, great. Any people specifically come to mind? But that yeah, so I have, I've had four hotel managers, which is kind of you know the, the second in command. That you know they kind of lead the operation a little bit more. So I've had four of those, and uh, the first three are all general managers of other Four Seasons hotels right now. Michael Petter is in Boston. Ed Gannon's in Jackson Hole. Beverly McGee is in uh, Baltimore. She's actually a regional vice president. She could be my boss one day, which is fantastic. And uh, unfortunately, the fourth person got caught up in the uh, in the layoff last year, but he landed on his feet. And he's a, he's a general manager with uh, Albers in Mexico, so um, he's about to open his own hotel there. So good outcome, you know, not with the company, unfortunately, although a company run by an ex Four Seasons person, so. Yeah, a little bit of family uh, there still. So you know, those are probably the the ones any, I'm most proud of. You know, yeah. Any cool guest stories that come to mind in your tenure? Oh my God, I could just go on forever. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear a few, and then I, you know, what's a cool guest story to you? To you? I mean, you know, there's uh, one of the ways I I start this conversation with my friends is that, that you know that people say you must have stories, and I I'm kind of like, well, pick a band or a country or a something, and I'll take it from there so um the things that stick out in my mind over the breadth of my career we we had the at the time the crown prince of uh saudi arabia stay with us in houston during the the gulf war and he was there for about a week and he was visiting uh george w bush at his ranch in crawford they stayed with us in houston about 300 rooms for a week and they stayed on their saudi schedule so everything, you know, the day and nights were kind of flipped and uh, just kind of, you know, just a week's worth of every kind of story you could possibly imagine from, you know, setting up the, the big suites to be suitable for the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. To, they invited in, they invite in their, uh, their citizens of the United States and they could come in and petition for money. And so... <laughs> We had a line of people at the door that would, you know, come in every morning, and they would meet with somebody at a, at a desk in the lobby, and uh, and then later in the afternoon, most of them would come back and they'd go up to a room upstairs and they'd give them they'd give them money for college or whatever, whatever their pitch was. That's cool. Yeah, and you know, we had that we had the military leaders of Saudi Arabia, the generals in there, and they would be, you know, doing the. Uh, They'd be doing interviews on CNN from the hotel rooms. And that was probably the biggest, most complicated, exhausting. You know, I was working 22 hours a day for a week straight, sleeping on a rollaway bed in my office, you know, in between. Uh, 
but you know, great, great memories. Really interesting. What about a guest story? Because I, I've definitely heard some crazy stuff about the lengths potentially you guys have gone to to, to make guests stay more comfortable and not maybe a crown prince like my. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess maybe do you guys have rules around that, or like can your can the staff at Four Seasons do whatever they want, or how does that work? Yeah, you know, I I think um, they can you know just about anything they want. It has to be legal and ethical, and uh, you know typically you know some of those things are. If the expense is ours, there's a limit to that in relationship to the amount the guest is spending to some extent. A lot of the things that we organize for people are at, you know, at the guest's own expense. I mean, you know, the things that are most meaningful are, are actually smaller things like somebody leaving something behind and, and one of the staff members getting a car and driving it to Houston or Dallas or something like that. And, and we do that from time to time if it's that important to somebody. We've had a couple of very very tragic uh, incidents of the pandemic where the families uh, of someone who, you know, who, who died in an incident stayed here and the staff have done some very, um, some very meaningful things for the families. I don't know if I can get specific enough, but there was a member of the military who was, who was killed um, and the family had stayed here. And one of our staff members served in the same branch of the military and um, the family had wanted there was a document or a, or a piece of paper that that they wanted to have preserved, and uh, one of the staff members took the document and built a plaque and put the document in there and sealed it up, and you know they framed it, and a couple of members of the staff participated together to do that. It was just a very meaningful Beautiful. memento for the family. And that was one that happened last fall, I think, during the pandemic. Those are awesome. I mean, one thing I'm curious about is the you know the Four Seasons approach. So I, I was curious. Like, let's say today you got transferred to Motel Six, and then you renamed it Motel Seven, right? Yeah. You're like, no, we're gonna go even one better, Motel Seven. What I'm trying to get at is like, I'm curious how you approach running uh, running things and you know culture and staff hiring. So if you were transferred to a Motel Six and a half today, like, I guess how would you approach managing that property? I think I'd start by talking to the people, seeing what the, you know, what they felt about the current situation, you know, there was and, you know, what they liked, didn't like, what they thought could be done better. You can solve a lot of problems that way. Yeah. A, a really good, simple example of that is going down to the kitchen and making sure that the cooks have, you know, spatulas and, you know, tongs and, you know, pots and pans and things like that, or the bartenders have martini glasses or the housekeepers, you know, or, have a robust supply of linen so they don't have to wait. You know, when you solve problems like that, that's kind of like having hot water for the guest, right? Certain things you have to have, comfortable bed, hot water. For the staff, they need to have supplies. So, so that's one of the places you start. And, you know, that's one of those things where, where you know, you listen, they tell you something, you solve a problem, and you start, you start gaining confidence, trust, respect. And when you have confidence, trust, and respect, you can have dialogue. We started having some dialogue around, like most companies, around diversity, inclusion, belonging, middle of last year. And we didn't have very many people working here. So we ended up having, having these great conversations with you know four, five, six people together and our director of people and culture and myself. And people were so forthcoming and uh, really meaningful conversations in the context of getting a deeper understanding of the variety of people's perspectives and 
on a lot of things, not, not just on the social justice issues that are going on in the world right now, but on, on any kind of topic. And uh, people were only forthcoming because, you know, Brian, our, our people and culture director and I, you know, we've both been here a long time and we worked really hard at developing, you know, trust. We would say to people, well, it's really great of you to, to share. And numerous people came out and said, well, that's only because, you know, we trust, you know, we trust that you're doing this for the right reasons. And, you know, not just, uh, not just to check a box or something like that. Yeah. So I like what you're saying. You know, one thing you said I thought that was really interesting was like, it's the small things. Because I do notice that it's like, oh, well, they did this one crazy thing. But sometimes it's like, hey, we wrote a note out or we got a cake or we just didn't consider it. And I, and I do like this thing that you're encouraging. Again, it's, I think it's, it's, it's simple advice that's just not used. It's yeah. just something that we kind of, we're like overcomplicating it in our businesses, which is like, you know, how, just ask your staff, go to the staff, go to the, you know, the, the front line and, you know, ask how to improve. I think one thing I am curious about, you know, with the, the staff, you know, every company, right? Like at our business, your business, how do you guys go about your hiring and retention? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question because if our people, you know, are, are what drives our product, then we've got to have the right people. And so it's critical. For the last three years, we've always had a pretty robust interviewing process. So traditionally, anyone we hired would go through four interviews. They'd have a screening interview. They'd talk to the the department manager where they'd be working. They would talk to the, the senior leader in that division and then either myself or the hotel manager. From the time I started, you know, almost 30 years ago, that was traditionally uh, the way we hired people, uh, what that process looked like. And it doesn't matter if they're housekeeper, dishwasher, server, you know, director of marketing, they're going to go through at least that process. About three years ago, we changed that up a little bit and replaced the final two interviews. We still did the first two interviews, replaced the final two interviews with a a panel uh, interview. And uh, so we would, you know, cluster the, you know, once a week, we have the applicants for that week. You know, it's usually three, four, five applicants. And we would have to get them together and go through a couple of exercises, mostly around, around people's values. And we have a panel of um, observers from the staff uh, and a facilitator. And um, the conversation will be facilitated for about 45 minutes, a couple different exercises we went through around values. And some of those exercises you know, required the group to work together as a team. And then once the um, exercises and kind of the Q&A around the exercises was done, it's usually about 45, 50 minutes, depending on how many people are in the, in the group. The observers, we would, we would leave and go back and we would discuss each one of the candidates. And basically, every, everybody who was on the panel had to kind of give it a hell yes. We want to hire that person. And I've loved that process. One of the things that, that was really great out of that was the values that probably 80, 90% of the people came up with were, you know, trust, respect, integrity, honesty, maybe fun in the workplace and things like that. And so the value, we, it was very clear that the values that, that we kind of held dear were the values that were important to the people that we were hiring. And one thing that did for the panelists is make us realize we had to live up to those expectations if we were going to retain these people, me included. It was, very, it was a very powerful kind of message back about what's important to these people when they come to work for us. And uh, it's one of the ways we got back to our leaders 
to understand the importance of that, that that's really what's going to make a difference for these people and ultimately for our guests. And what we found in doing, in doing that group process was we rejected more people, we had more perspective, and we had a more, probably a more precise understanding of what we needed to hear from these people through the process. And we had much better retention. We've had much better retention for you know, 90 days, one year retention. Once people get past a year or two, the retention is much better. We tend to see, and this is this has not changed a whole lot over the kind of the last couple of generations. Once someone's established, they tend to stay for a really long time. So 80% of the staff is very stable, and then 20% of staff tends to churn. And some of that's natural. You know, you, you hire you hire college students to do certain jobs, and you know, that's going to churn because they're going to graduate and move on. So some of that's natural. But if we could do a little bit better job and cut that kind of churn of the first year from, you know, from 20% to 15 or 10%, that's going to help us out considerably. How do you approach that? Well, it starts by rejecting more people and getting a better group hired. And that's what I'm saying. That group interviewing process moved the dial a little bit in terms of us hiring right people who are more likely to stay. So it all starts in the beginning, then it's not a, the retention's easier if you do better filtering. For sure. And and then, you know, once once you get beyond that, the retention, then it comes back, really, it comes back to direct supervisor, you know, the culture that's created within an, an individual department in a lot of respects, again, because that's the person's, you know, most direct experience and, and what influences their satisfaction most directly is the environment in their, you know, their small mm-hmm. department. And you know, by department, I'm talking about the staff in the restaurant, the staff in the housekeeping department, the staff in the laundry department, or the, the valet parking staff. The groups are separated that way, and you know, that's how their schedules are done, and that's generally how their leaders are allocated you know, by department. A lot of the way that you guys run in terms of like career growth and operation, is that mandated from corporate? Is it like, hey, here's a playbook that, you know, in terms of the culture and the interview questions and also just how we, the way we operate the hotel? Yeah, there, there are frameworks. Yeah, there are frameworks for sure. You know, there's a kind of a, well, there's a set of goals, beliefs, and principles, which are, which are well, well formed and have stayed the same for a long, long time. And then there are, you know, there's some frameworks about, about leadership behaviors and, uh, you know, staff behaviors that help guide our culture, you know, it's up to us to interpret, you know, how we put those things into practice though, really. Kind of same thing for the guests, you know, their parameters around what types of things you need to do when you check someone into their room, but the language that's used and the order and so forth are kind of up to us to implement and up to really up to the individual in some cases, the individual staff member. Can you give me an example of some of these like frameworks or principles that haven't changed? The goals, beliefs, and principles. So it's um, who we are. Uh, We're only going to operate medium-sized hotels and residents of exceptional quality. Uh, What we believe are our people are our greatest asset and key to our success. How we behave, you know, we uh, perform most effectively when we work together cooperatively respecting each other's contribution and importance. That's kind of the mutual respect piece of it. We succeed when we have clear understanding of our objectives and, and you know, when we provide great service, it'll, it'll yield 
appropriate profitability. That's kind of a paraphrasing of the goals, beliefs, and principles. And then when you get into kind of the more specific kind of culture frameworks, it's things like being inclusive. There's actually a little guideline there, which I haven't been reading until until right now, by the way. You know, it talks about creating trust and openness, empowering people, communicating clearly, um, investing in development, delivering best-in-class results, innovating, adapting, leading with inspiration, doing the right thing, creating high-performing teams. And, you know, so those are kind of the frameworks that kind of give us direction. It's up to us to, you know, to figure out how we nurture those things and how we get people to communicate and how we encourage the leaders to inspire, right? Most of that, you know, falls on our team to try to navigate. What's the balance of, there's obviously a framework of like, hey, when a guest comes in, we're going to, you know, follow this process, right? There's definitely some right. procedures that are, so right. where's the balance of following process frameworks and then, you know, the flexibility that you can have to, you know, explore within that? Yeah. So we don't want anything to be scripted. We want, we want the individuals, you know, who work here on the staff to use their personalities. We don't want to try to say you got to use this language exactly. Yeah, it's a luxury environment. So we want people to use thoughtful, I hate to say sophisticated, but thoughtful and appropriate language. And so there's that, that guidance. But within that, you know, you want to leave that to somebody to use their personality to make the engagement, you know, feel natural and, and authentic and for it to be natural and authentic, not just make it feel that way, but really to be that way. A great, you know, front desk receptionist or, or, or server will need to try to, you know, read or ascertain, you know, the preferences of the individual guests so that they can modify their behavior to, to make the guests feel comfortable. It's not that we expect the guests to help us, but the staff needs to, needs to be able to be, you know, savvy enough to take the signals from the guests, figure out how to modify our normal standards to meet the needs of the guests. So if we have, if we have a way we're supposed to do something and the guest wants us, wants to be treated differently from that, then that's how we're going to treat the guest. And the staff's got to figure out how to make those interpretations. Do you have any like crazy demands? Well, yeah. <laughs> what what, what um, was like, oh, that's, that's a bit much. There's a guest who, uh, I haven't come across this guest in a long time, but he had stayed here a couple of times in other hotels that I've worked in with the company along the way. I've seen this guest um, from time to time, and there was a list of about, it was by a two and a half page list of things that he liked, things that he didn't like, didn't want the server to introduce themselves by name. You know, doesn't need to know the server's name, right? So it's a kind of crazy, and a lot of that stuff. Rude. And, yeah, yeah, pretty rude. But on the other hand, we don't have to guess what he likes and doesn't like. This particular case, the list was pretty ridiculous, the one I'm thinking of. Uh, what else was on this list? There were things in there like certain, you know, amenities or items that needed to be set in certain places in the room or things removed from the room. If he does laundry, it had to come back a certain way, and packaged a certain way. Again, th those are valuable insights that normally the staff is, like I just described, the staff's trying to figure those things out as we go, right? And if somebody gives me a list, we can all read that. We can, it's a lot easier to get it right. <laughs> so in his case, I think it's rude. Yeah, rude, obnoxious. It's kind of rude and obnoxious, some of those things. 
And, and there were some things like that on there. But aside from that, it's kind of nice to have a list. When a rock band comes through, you, you get a rider and it's got, you know, it's got all the things they need. And that's perfect because all you got to do is go set everything up, do everything the way they ask, take the list and check everything off. You know, that's a lot easier than they get here and they start rattling things off. Then you're scrambling around trying to trying to pick up on all those things. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of crazy things in there. The good thing about Four Seasons is by the bands, by the time the bands can afford to stay with us, they've usually gotten the bad behavior mostly <laughs> out of their system. Mostly. That's a, that's a pretty good, yeah. that's interesting. I am curious again on, uh, you know, how do you set goals and lead this team? I was thinking if you came to run our software company, you know, I like one that you started early in the conversation talking about career growth. And when I started the company, it was just like five of us. I didn't care about career growth. I was like, just work and you have fun and you do stuff. And, and it, it, that's something that in our recent uh, 360 review, a lot of people were like, well, I want more career growth. And it was good. I didn't, I was, I was surprised. So I am curious if you were to run our company, like a software, like a ton of totally different industry. What things would you bring over from Four Seasons in terms of operation, leadership, day-to-day, you know, yearly planning? I'd definitely bring over the need to listen. And it sounds like you're doing that. You've got a 360. You've heard from your staff. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an important part of it. As far as goal setting, you know, kind of formally and broadly, we have an executive committee of eight or nine, eight or nine leaders. And we typically do like an off-site two-day retreat in January and, and organize our goals for the year then. It typically happens before any of the goals come out from our corporate office. So it's kind of nice. It's fresh. It's ours. It's what we believe in, what we believe is going to you know, move the business forward, make, make us successful for the year, understanding you know, the situation that, that we see ahead of us. And we organize that basically in three buckets, people, product, and profit. That's the way it's been organized. A lot of these things have been organized in our company for years. That's uh, what I grew up, um, how I grew up in this company, kind of seeing, seeing those things organized. And it's useful. And we probably spend two-thirds of the time, half the time on people, the next 40% of the time on product, and about 10% on profit, to be honest with you, because the profit's going to follow the other things. Just why we spend less time on profit. Yeah. Good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that exactly. Not that the profit piece of it's not complicated, but it's easier to probably manage and control. So you, you focus know, more on the revenue? Well, in the goal setting, if we spend 50% of the time on people, it's because that's the hardest part of it to manage. Um, Interesting. It takes the most effort. And the product kind of, it follows the people. And, you know, then there's some creativity elements to that or some, you know, some metrics that we've seen that we need to improve upon, you know, from guest surveys. Same thing with the people side of it. You know, there's metrics that we have and, and data that we have from commentary that we have from the staff that might help us identify things. You know, the profit side of it is it's less about coming up with new things and it is just managing the nuts and bolts of it on a day-to-day basis. You know, so there's revenue management, you know, that we do every day, every week. and you know, I, I don't, there's not a lot to reinvent there, I don't think. And it's a specialty, I guess part of that too, is a specialty of a smaller part of the team. So you have the executive, the leadership team there, executive team, everybody's involved in, in people. 
a pretty large percentage is involved directly in, in product and the profit piece of it's just a smaller group of people to some extent. Well, I like where you're going. That's actually, well, I want to keep going with how you would run our company and think about it. But I think that's actually fascinating is that the people at the end of the day lead the profit. So if you can get the people equation right and they're executing the playbook right, then the, generally the profit can follow that really well. One of my favorite books on leadership is The Score Will Take Care of Itself, the Bill Walsh book. And he really focuses on like, you can't control the game and the fumbles and things like that, but you can control how you're playing the game. Yeah. But uh, all right. So you're still running your company. So you have twice a year yearly planning, people, profit. What was the third P? Product. People, product, profit. Oh, yeah. probably in that order. Uh, and then how else are you thinking about like, you, you're, you're our new CEO? Again, it's listening, you know, figuring out what success looks like, you know, and, and how we're going to track that, right? As a new CEO, I, I don't, you know, I don't know enough about your company to know what is success. Is it all about, you know, driving profit? Are you trying to, you trying to build it up and sell it? You're trying to build it up and, and expand it. You know, you got to understand some of those things. Those things might change too. You got to examine whether or not it's the same. Is it, why are you hiring a new CEO, right? So I think I'd look at the, you know, look at the structure of the, of the staff and, and make sure you've, you don't have any gaps to it. You know, where, where are the holes? Again, that comes mostly from listening. It might come, it might come from a financial statement. You know, you might find on a financial statement that there's an underperforming, you know, segment of the business. And then how do you organize around that to, you know, to expand that, right? Look at the people on the team. Look at the players on the team. Having the right players is critically important. How do they fit together? What's the knowledge base? What's, what's the variety of perspectives that exist? Are you missing something because you don't have a, a strength in a particular functional aspect of the business? You know, like a marketing director. Right, you have someone who's been doing it. And they were very good at this, but the business needs have evolved to something different. You know, is there a different skill set you need there, or or can you, you know, add a support structure or or give this person a a way to gain you know, different in, insight? You know, putting the right the right players on the team is is critical. Making sure there's a clear mission that everybody's behind. Making sure that the that the people who are not the leaders are are excited about following the leaders and kind of ex- examining the uh, the health of the of the culture and the mindset of the team. Looking maybe looking for some low hanging fruit, you know, on the profitability side. How did you know you wanted to be in hospitality? I would say when I was a, a young lad, I never thought of it as a profession. Like someone told me, this is probably about fifteen years ago. They're like, I'm I'm studying hospitality. I'm like, what do you mean, be nice? You mean stand at the front door and you open the door for them? And what I've realized in my career so far, I'm about halfway in it, is that there's much difference between a hobby and a, and a professional, and an amateur, amateur versus professional. And anyone could open a hotel, but to be a professional and to be around for since 1960, something else is happening. I, I'm just curious, like how did you how did you identify that for yourself? That this is the, the your career, and you're you know excited to aspire to. I'll tell you, and then I'll tell you a funny story about, you know, it not being a career. And I don't mean as an insult, by the way. No, no, no. It, it, well, I'll tell you that part first. So, so my, my best friend from kind of junior high, very successful guy, he was an engineer and then a lawyer. And he ended up being a kind of chief trademark guy for Clorox at the end of his career. He's like, you know, when you went to hotel school, I thought, what the hell were you doing? Because the only kind of sense of what, that job looked like in his mind. We grew up in a small town in Ohio. The only sense of what he had in his mind with a little like 
the Motel 6 is on the side of the road. He's like, why would anyone ever want to do that? Why would you ever? Because <laughs> that's what he thought, you know, that's what he thought I would be doing. And, you know, it's turned out, fortunately, very differently from that. And it's been very rewarding you know, intellectually. So I hope this is what you're looking for. When I was about 14, 15, we spent a summer outside of Atlanta. My dad was a physicist and he had, he would get these summer, summer jobs, a professor, and then he'd get these summer jobs, you know, working on projects. I think that summer was Lockheed and he was, you know, developing some imaging that would show cracks in airplane wings or something like that. And uh, we went and we lived outside of Atlanta and every weekend we would travel. That's the first time I ever stayed in great hotels. And so <clears throat> we stayed in some really nice hotels and, I absolutely loved it. And so when I was looking for college, trying to figure out what I was, what I was doing, my parents, you know, they pointed that out and said, you know, you really enjoyed that. And maybe you should think about going into that as a field. Both my parents were educators. It's kind of outside the box, but that's what I ended up doing. Yeah. What hotel did you stay at? And why did you like it so much? Well, again, you got, you got to remember, this is uh, sort of been like uh, 1974 or something like that. There was this beautiful big Hyatt uh, on the beach in uh, Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Mm. Uh, fancy resort hotel with a. I played tennis. There was a tennis center and restaurants and the beach. A lot of activity. Big place. You know, fancy people dressed nicely. Things like that. There was a resort down there in Georgia. A couple of them that we went to. It was one of those other big atrium hotels. Might have been another Hyatt. Greensboro, North Carolina, someplace like just just hotels, you know, because we've traveled, you know, a lot, you know, stayed in little roadside inns and motels and stuff, but never really kind of big luxury hotels. And to me, it was just just cool. You know, my parents, you know, saw that in me and suggested that might be something interesting. And I made the choice between kind of government, international relations and business and hospitality. And I, I went with the business and hospitality. It's so interesting at an age, you're, and also your parents encourage that. It's that's very unique. It's very unique. I guess yeah. most people in the in the business, or a lot of people, get in because they had family in the business. There's a lot of that in our business, where the family had a restaurant, or the family had a hotel, or the family was in, you know, there was you know mom or a dad that was in a position at a hotel. There's a lot of that in our business. That's awesome. One thing in in, in wrapping up, uh, I am curious to. How do you help people develop as leaders? And is there books or courses or material that you recommend? Something that I'm specifically working on is how to coach better. So how do I coach leaders? So, you know, I got to this book that, you know, this guy's from Silicon Valley, Bill Campbell, the trillion dollar coach. So he coached like Google people. But I'd be curious, you know, especially from your experience and you guys treat guests and the staff so well, I'd be curious how you think about that. I read articles. I read some books. There's a great book, A More Beautiful Question. That's a great book. You know, What's it called? It comes down to A More Beautiful Question, I think is the name of it. Great question about not talking so much and, and asking questions to draw things out. I think that's important. It's a lot. It's a lot about emotional intelligence and being aware of how your actions and words can be perceived by others and you know, be careful about that. Conversations. Um, it's, it's mostly through conversation, really, the coaching, delegating certain things, being constructive and honest and feedback, exposing people to things maybe, maybe they wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. That's a really important piece of it here. You know, we have a lot of people who go from, 
you know, who start in a non-management position, you know, most of us, and then work work their way up. So as you advance, you know, the the things that are important for success change. It's, it's just really kind of technically focused early on or, or potentially sales focused early on. And then as you begin to lead the people who do that, it becomes more important to, you know, to inspire people and solve problems for them. And, you know, kind of some of the things we talked about earlier in the conversation, getting people to understand that they need to see things differently in, in their new role, you know, letting people make mistakes and then coaching them on it or, or you know, or helping them avoid a mistake or getting a little bit of some mind, mindset shifts. For example, here's a very simple example of that. Because if you're if you're working at, as a front desk receptionist, you know you're you're working an eight hour shift. You're checking people in, checking people out. You're really focused on on that shift, right? And the more you advance, the longer your timeline becomes. Generally speaking, for example, when you become when you move from the receptionist to the shift manager, or even the department head of a department, one of the things I teach people is you can't just walk out the door for the day without thinking about what's coming for the next you know, at least 16 hours. Because you gotta you gotta come in the next day and you gotta make sure you got every covered everything covered at least halfway through the next day. Because you have to you have to start thinking ahead and you have to predict what's coming and you have to prepare and adjust. And so you have to expand your timeline a little bit further. And you know, that would be an example of you know getting someone to change how they think about their job as it transitioned to the next, uh, to the next role. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like a Jim Rohn quote from back in the day is to get everything you want. All you have to do is help everybody else get what they want. Yeah. 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 That's a good quote. Yeah. That's a good one. I think the, the big takeaway for me is all you, you know, at the end of this, you just care. You care about yourself. You care about the staff, you care about the guests. And then you, you know, you find other people that you can hire that care about the same things that, that matter to your business. That's right. Care about it. They're interested. They're intuitive. They're they're inquisitive. There's a term, sufficiently inquiring mind. You know, you want people with sufficiently mm. inquiring minds who qu- kind of question everything. Those people are easy to teach. They question everything, and you can just keep throwing things at them, and they absorb it. And you know, love working with people like that. What are some of the interview questions you use? And then I'll I'll, I'll leave it at that. Is there any interview questions that you like asking people? Because you gave me a question of like. Right there, I was like, "Oh, wh- what are you learning? Tell me something yeah. you're learning, and then you you right. know kind of kind of see how people are you know wanting to grow or not." Yeah, I mean, I try to spend a lot of time, particularly with the leaders. I try to spend a lot of time asking them questions about the people on their team, specific questions about you know, tell me about somebody on your team, you know, who you had to coach, and wh- what was the reason for that? What was the outcome, and what was the strategy? Or or tell me about a couple people on your team. You know, what makes them tick? What's important in their personal lives? You know, because if you want to get to that trust and mutual respect point, the person has to have taken an interest in their people, right? So I'm trying to under, undercover how much of a connection they have with the people that they lead or the people that they work with. That's a really important kind of line of, of questioning. You know, I think uh, that those group interviewing questions about, about values have turned out to be incredibly powerful. What the question we ask them there is, you know, there's we have a deck of cards and it's got values on the cards. And we'll ask them to look at that, say, what are the five values that are most important to you at work and why? 
that really draws a lot out of people. And you can learn a lot of a lot from people. And and then you ask them a couple of questions, and you know you start to learn about people's upbringing and and their family a little bit. And you know you can see the values in there. You know my mom always told me this, and I've lived by that rule. Uh-huh. And, you know when you hear that when you hear that from somebody, it's it's probably a pretty authentic answer, and it gives you a lot of confidence that you know that they really try to live by those values. If you can get to that, you know, those are, those are the kind of people that we want on our team. People with, who value respect, trust, you know, camaraderie, uh, integrity, teamwork. And if people can speak to those things, then, you know, then it gives, a, it gives us a lot of confidence. Those people you want to work with. Really, ultimately, you want people to have a positive outlook on life. Like, think about how much time we spend with each other, you know? spend more time with with some of these people than I do, you know, with my family. And I would rather be around those people, you know, people have a positive outlook on life and have good values and and have integrity. You know, those are the people we want to work with. And and if we can build a team like that, then that's a big part of the the mission. I think having a mission is also really important. You know, what are you doing this for? Like, you know, I was talking with a friend yesterday. Like he was like, yeah, we're at a company that, you know, trying to change communication or at AppSumo.com, we're trying to change entrepreneurship. And I love seeing people start companies or grow their businesses. And, uh, you know, you, you guys have amazing guest experiences. Yeah. Yeah. We want people to, you know, we want people to, you know, to have their life enriched by the experience that they have. You know, that, that can, some of that is as simple as just the conversation that they have with the member of the staff. We get those comments all the time, you know. Sarah at the front desk was just so amazing and so thoughtful and, and, you know, made our stay special or, you know, or Daniel in the restaurant in the server, he took an interest in our, in our child. And, you know, those are examples too, where those individuals, you know, they learn something in that conversation and they can do, do a little special touch. You know, next time you just got to get a list, just get the list ahead of time from everybody. Makes it easy. <laughs> actually, I actually thought that's an interesting idea. Where when you're booking a hotel room or before you get there, it's like tell me these five questions and then we can cut, customize. Because right. like I think that would blow people's minds. Like one yeah. of my bucket lists is to go to an Almondiri because I've yeah. heard there's just like some next. It's like there's like four seasons already at the best and there's right. like some crazy right. next level stuff. Yeah, yeah, great hotels and I'm it's on my bucket list too. I haven't done any yet. Is there any other what other bucket list hotels do you have besides Four Seasons? Obviously Four Seasons number one, but like Almondiri is up there for me. Good question. I think my mindset's been tainted from a, a, the lack of travel in the past year. You would think I'd be excited to go out there and travel, and I am. Unfortunately, my priorities are going to see family, you know, that I haven't been able yeah, to that's see. A, that's a great thing as well. Which is great, but uh, they don't live in exotic locations with great hotels, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I, I can see a trip or two like that in 2022. I'll have to do my research. That sounds um, great. Yeah. Mr. Hagelberg, Rob, uh, no, I appreciate taking the time, sir. You're welcome. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. Moving back to the team, it definitely inspired me to think about how we're approaching our, our customers uh, as well as our staff. Well, if I can ever, you know, if I can ever be of help, let me know. And uh, well, this was super helpful, and I, I appreciate it. Hopefully, I'll, I'll drop in the hotel and shake your hand in person. Yeah, please do. I look forward to seeing you. Seeing you around. All right, thank you, Rob. All right, thanks. Take care. You too, sir. Well, that is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as I did making it. Go check out Rob on LinkedIn. That's Rob Hagelberg as well as go stay at the Four Seasons. Also, make sure you're part of the AppSumo $1 million Black Friday fund. 
That's going to be at appsyone.com slash sell, as well as just go to appsyone.com between September 15th, November 17th. Get your money. If you've got an ebook, if you've got a course, if you've got software, it's literally the best time ever. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go order room service together at the Four Seasons. And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. Also, each week I send an exclusive email uh, to my list. So go to sendfox.com slash Noah for the juicy stuff. This is the stuff that's not public. That's sendfox.com slash Noah. Also, create your own newsletter at sendfox.com. Final couple shout outs to my amazing team. Special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these episodes. Yes, I mumble his domain because I don't want you to hire him away from me because I kind of need his help. Thinking of Mitchell, Jeremy, Hubert, Jonathan, Sasa, Cam, Jen, and George. He's new from the dork team. Finally, a couple shout out to Stephanie Yeager and Celeste at AppSumo.com. Thank you for the new AppSumo product logo. Sweet. Have a fabulous day. What's your favorite room service order? French fries. Get the French fries. <laughs>